since we started entering the silence on uh, Tuesday evening. It's been three, three, four days and nights. So we've been uh, interrupting the uh, some of the regular ways which we oftentimes uh, disperse our consciousness. This is a challenging part of the retreat, very important, important part. Uh, there's the feeling that a lot of uh, good effort has been made. At about this time, we're, uh, many of us are, are facing undigested, Exhaustion, restlessness, habitual ways which we uh, distract ourselves or escape from uh, that which is painful. Not necessarily some big sharp shooting pain, but that which is has that valence that. We're talking about feeling here, that which is uncomfortable, restless, which we don't so much like. There's a way in which we escape from that through distraction, mainly by being fired up and excited about moving towards something that, it, that perception is that will be nice, pleasant. So as a one of our colleagues from monastic life, uh, friends, teachers, uh, Ajahn Sajita used to say, uh, we're, especially at about this time of the retreat, we're eyeball to eyeball with our karma, with our tendencies. And because of the yoga, or the religary, the, the yoking, the, the the ancient meaning of religion meant to religary, to bind yourself, to connect to a limitation. Just like the uh, lovely sessions with the, the yin yoga, which Jennifer has been guiding us through. You know, we limit ourselves to, to a posture with, with, with a mindful effort and just watching the ways in which one could habitually just escape, but because of the encouragement to stay connected, using the breathing to breathe in to keep deepening the awareness, relaxing, that, that a transformation can happen. It's a paradox that involves staying with a limitation, similarly with religare. Uh, the religion, ancient religious meaning of religion wasn't binding yourself to a dogmatic view. What do you believe? That's what it's been reduced to. But in staying w w with a practice, having the opportunity to face, to recognize our tendencies.
and then be liberated from all sorts of uh, assumptions we have about them. Just like we have a mood comes up, a reaction to pain, we concretize that as, oh, bad. The desire to escape comes up, it seems like me, oh, yeah, get out of this bad place. But through our wisdom, commitment to mindfulness, patience, staying with, we have the opportunity to watch those what we thought was pain vibrate, shift, change. And what we thought so much was that mood, I have to get out of here. We realize that mood wells up and shifts. It's not totally trustworthy. We're not trusting, we're not taking refuge. I take refuge in my moods. Dutiampi, I take refuge in my moods. We don't, that's maybe what we ordinarily do. But our moods are like the weather. But we're taking refuge in something deeper. Buddha, that, that awareness that can recognize liking and not liking, pleasure and pain. But this, this being within this limitation of the retreat, the silence, the, the yoga, the classically the cross, the same principle, staying with that limitation of the crucifixion, which seems like such a death, there can be a transmutation, transformation, and a recognition of a new life. Right in the midst of that is the the key to understanding the first noble truth. This is oftentimes in retreats where one is uh, planning one's escape. <coughs> Me too, thinking I was going to disappear. But this is what I, I trusted so much, this metabolizing of dukkha, this purification. This, when you take refuge, in, remember one of the qualities of Buddha is Bhagava, means blessed one, one filled with blessings. When we move and deepen our trusting in, our aligning with that which is aware, patient, connected, kind, friendly, interested, that it blesses the moment. It, it, so that I really encourage us to stay with some of the sensations, some of the tendencies of wanting and not wanting that are coming up. To keep, stay with this practice as the magic wand of mindfulness, the metabolizing of the transmutation of what seems so solid into, into an easeful abiding. We essentially have been uh, practicing the training of the mind in what's called samadhi. Moments of mindfulness, there's a moment when we're connected to sitting, to seeing to hearing. When moments of mindfulness through atapi, through this 
persistence, to this commitment, to this dedication. These moments can continue. We can learn to sustain our moments of presence. Zajan Chan described it once. Sometimes it's like a tap or a faucet that drips. Drip, drip. Some mindfulness and we lost. Mindfulness and we get lost. But there comes a time when we get the feeling of it. Drip, 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 flow. Drip, 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 flow. Sustaining. This, this effort at first is a little coarser as we keep remembering, reconnecting, returning, losing it, returning, losing it. And then the, little by little there's a sustain, being present for an in-breath and an out-breath. Present for one step. Present in, in staying with, for example, in our um, in yoga posture, present with the sensations, staying with it. And when uh, the mindfulness becomes sustained, it can flower into what's called samadhi, a centeredness, a gatheredness, a stability of presence, a plugged-inness, sometimes translated in English as concentration, which is I don't think a great word because of the connotation of to be really concentrated sometimes connotes a kind of narrow laser-like. That can be an aspect of concentration that can be useful at times. <coughs> but the, the concentration, the centeredness, and durability and stability of mind that the Buddha was talking about is, is not the, 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 the concentration is not so good so more concentric I love concentric would be more like it concentric circles you know concentric circles is a central circle and a wider circle and a wider circle and a wider circle so you can look at the center you can be focused in the center but there still can be the sense of what's around it it's centered. You can be grounded and yet still spacious because one is grounded in the center. It's wider, inclusive. When the Buddha defined samadhi, his short definition was chitta kagata, the heart, chit, chitta, the awareness, eka is unified, ekagata. What, what is unified within the awareness? The three dimensions of our being. It's just the way that we talked about the different dimensions. It's not like they're absolutely separate. They flow into one another. But the, the, the three streams of karma that, 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 that make up our, what we call me, the stream of the, the heart stream of the, the awareness that feels that is drawn to and repelled by heart the bodily form stream 
mental cognitive that can hope for the future. Oh gosh, I'd really be wonderful to break through and get to this luminous heart and then and then abide and then bless all beings. I might be the first enlightened being in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Maybe I'll be the patriarch of Chattanooga. <laughs> Future, the mind can go to the past, can worry about what might happen tomorrow. We, we know what it's like when the, mind, when our, the streams of our being are are disjointed. The mind is worrying about the future. We don't have any idea where the body is. <coughs> and the emotions so often are, rather than being unified, are so often fighting against some sensation, some circumstance, lunging forward, recoiling back. Chitta kagata. We've been practicing bringing the dimensions of our being here. Well, what's been described as arriving here. With a directed thought. Here now. Sitting. Thought can direct the attention. But rather than the thought being the main thing, it's just a directing of attention. It's the yang. It's the directive. It's useful when we're back in somewhere else and we realize uh, I'm practicing. We bring the attention back. But if we only have the yang, get back there. I told you earlier today. Why? I'm not you gonna get there. I'm gonna think up a punishment. Come on, kicking the mind, bullying the mind. Just the yang pushing the attention, what result does that have? We just get a rebellion. The image that comes to my mind is like someone that comes up to me and says, how are you? But then they never wait to, you're getting ready to say how you are, and then they go on and on and pinning you to the wall. And then they walk away, oh, it was really nice talking to you. And they walk away and you feel like you've just been pinned to the wall. There was yang energy there, but there wasn't the what's called the vichara. The Buddha had two qualities that support the samadhi. One, yes, is bringing the attention. And then vichara, once we've brought the attention, that yang part has to soften a little. It's there, it keeps us there. And then there's the part of the mind that receives. So, for example, I can say blanket. The thought brings the attention to my, 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 my blanket, but if I keep saying blanket, 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 and then feeling, weight, texture. So, notice that part that feels into, it's where the bonding happens. There's only the yang, then it's the energy. It's important because it directs us to where we want to go. But then there's what the Buddha called vichara, or the, the part of the mind that explores, feels into, receives, and then can adjust. That's the wisdom part. 
because as it feels into it, it might notice, whoa, too much effort here. So then it'll get us to relax. Sometimes been described as a thumb and an index finger. One holds it steady, the other, they work together. Vitaka vichara, the directing, the exploring. The, the mind does that. Our mantra, like Bhutto, is a word that, in, that constellates or invites both to happen. The word reminds us, oh, I'm breathing in, or even just the word in, out. Bhutto, or in, out. It brings the attention there. But then it encourages to receive and really feel out. How do we know we're breathing in? If we're being with the breath at the nostrils, we'll notice that coolness of the in-breath. And on the out-breath, we'll notice it's a little warmer because the air has been warmed by the bodily heat in the lungs. <coughs> in, out, and then feeling into. This is allowed the bonding, the connection to become more secure. When it slips off, yes, the yang, something can bring us back, a thought. But what allows us to stay there? The, the masculine, the feminine, the effort, the receptivity work together. These are what's called jhana factors. These are very important parts of ourselves that, that are useful for anything that we do in our life. Whether it's having a conversation, whether it's being with the body, it allows us to stay with what we're doing but then connect and explore and then adjust. This, this practice, this samadhi practice, is, is difficult, it's challenging. But I really encourage us not to worry about how great it is. We're not giving any grades. But commit ourselves to if for the rest of our life, little by little by little, we work on learning to be present, learning to skillfully be present with what we're doing, directing the mind, receiving, and then the next jhana factor is called pitti. It's translated oftentimes as rapture. Yes, it flowers into that, but uh, that has other connotations that aren't so useful. But it means, means what supports the samadhi is learning how to enjoy, to be filled with. Very important principle in samadhi training. We're imagining, we might have some memory of a peaceful state that maybe just came naturally. And we're trying to get there. We're leaning to get back to it. Because of the perception, maybe it notices some pain or some exhaustion. It assumes, oh, this is not, not what I want. So we're escaping this feeling and, and wanting to hurry up, get to that that we want. There's no way that turns into pity. Pity, P-I-T-I. 
Enjoying means whatever the sensation is, even if it's painful, even if it's exhausted, all the more important if it's exhausting, is we open to it and savor it. We receive it. We honor it. We're interested in the mind, explores to it, in that mind that's touching that feeling. There's an alchemy that happens there that we've noticed. At least I have. I'd be interested if you've noticed that when you stay with a feeling which at first one thinks, for example, in our yoga practice or in our sitting practice, oh, this is bad. We can stay with it, breathing with it, interested in it. Is that transmutation, what you could call a metabolizing, a quickening. It's the healing principle. It's, it's the nature of awareness. Awareness when it's not distorted, when it's composed and unifies, its nature is to put things in balance. That's what it does. It just does it. This, this pity, this mainly by receiving it and savoring and opening to it, it presents a container so that the energy little by little builds up. Ajahn Sajito, who I've been always talking about, uh, compared it to a, a boat on the beach. It's up there on the tide. High tide and the tide goes down so the boat's grounded. But as the tide starts to come in, around the boats, lifting, still grounded, lifting, lifting, still grounded, but at a certain point the tide lifts it off the ground. The buoyancy. When our energy, which normally when there's no samadhi, it's, it's fractured, scattered. When that energy through Vitaka here, back to the body, so that's the mental energy here, connected to the body, received by the heart, that's all the three streams are right here in one place. That energy, and then if we learn to receive it, cradle it, savor it, practice enjoying. It's not a knee-slapping necessarily. Oh, this is a lot of fun. Doesn't have to be that happy-clappy. It can be a quieter. Looking at these reactions we have to things, being able to hmm, receive, cradle. Then the energy starts to well up and there can be that little, especially the next jhana factor, relax. It's called sukha. This enjoying is a little more active. It's actually a sankara. It's a, it's a practicing, enjoying, receiving, savoring, tasting. That's balanced by what's called sukha, is a, is a relaxing, it's learning to be okay with it, content with it. And little by little, the energy wells up, wells up, wells up, and, and this is what we're, we're doing now.
the Buddha taught that you cannot enter samadhi and stay there. That you cannot withstand the impact of sights and sounds and smells and tastes and sensations. What we're saying is it's not just sensory deprivation we're talking about, you know, not having... Yes, it's nice to have conducive <coughs> conditions and we don't have to go around clanging a, a harsh bell in everyone's ear to really see if they're unshakable. Okay, no, it's good to try to make conditions as good as possible, but sometimes we get into this thing of having to have everything so special that we spend our time battling. When he's talking about learning to withstand, learning to be patient with the light, going to be some things we like and we don't like. Learning to this subduing longing and distress with regard to the world. This is talking about wanting what we want and wanting to get rid of what we don't want. We're practicing in this practice learning to be more patient with what is. Sights, sound, smells, tastes, and particularly sensations. As we're bringing our attention into the interiority of the body. And as we uh, practice this, then this little by little can lead to what's called ekakata things coming together. So just uh, to remember in our age and our practice, Bringing the attention, receiving, practicing, even even right now. Uncomfortable sensations that we can, without thinking about it, just want to move away from. Now it's different if, if something is, you know, if because we have some idea that we have to sit in full lotus today in order to really have an insight into a tree, we might be putting our joint into a position where we're really about to break it. You know, there's some kind of pain and through investigation we get to know the kind of pains that are more destructive or not. So we're, but if we're first reaction to something that's unpleasant, if we're always moving away, we'll never enter samadhi. But we've been encouraging in, in, uh, in our yoga practice and in this to be not read to be interested in and explore not to make discomfort the enemy but to explore it and yes be gentle and, and consider when something is too much but little by little to start to transmute and, and uh, dissolve some of the habitual reactions to pain and pleasure this is very important 
And as the, uh, to, to just review again, in this uh, practice of mindfulness of the breathing, the, the, the Buddha taught, you know, to, to commit, dedicate ourselves to, rather than just going and being involved in all other sorts of things, to learn to train ourselves at times to just be with one thing, to let go for now of figuring out the future or yet again going over the past, to just bring our attention to breathe in and out, dedicate ourselves to being with the breathing, knowing, discerning when we breathe in long or out long, knowing whether it's a short breath, and then um, training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body, and then training ourselves to learn how to calm the body, We've been uh, looking at how in the breathing, the breathing is something that's quite interesting. We can consciously manipulate the breathing. We can breathe in when we want to. We can breathe out when we want to. We cannot breathe for a while. But also, if we fall asleep, we keep breathing. So it's something that can happen on its own, or it's something that we can let follow its own natural course. Because our, our body gets conditioned by our moods and things like that, sometimes our, our breathing is not so in balance. Sometimes it gets constricted, contracted. So it also can be useful to train ourselves, this, as we did in, in our yoga practice very skillfully. Also, as Ajahn Chah would do, he would sometimes encourage us to consciously take a few, and this is a manipulation, it's, it's, it's controlling it, a few long, slow, quiet, mindful breaths. And that, that brings the attention here. Filled to the brim, and it was lovely having that training and learning to, to, to let the breath begin down in the lower abdomen the middle breath, the ribs, upper breath there, long breath. You really find the body when one breathes in long. That brings some extra power into the system. And then breathing out long, consciously relaxing the forehead, the eye, the jaw, the shoulder, the body. A few in, full, there's a yang energy in that. A conscious, directing yang. And at the same time, feeling the body and then a deep relaxation on the out breath. And then as one waits and explores, one will notice the subtle breath. Breath is not just respiration, air in, air out. It's a part of it. But if we notice, you stop breathing, so I'm not breathing. But after a time, if we stop breathing, we'll notice an uncomfortable feeling that, what is that uncomfortable feeling? I'm not breathing, but I feel it everywhere in my whole body. What's that? It's good to stop breathing sometime and then <coughs> take a breath. You feel that flush. 
So a dimension, the coarser dimension of the breath, energy, is the air in, air out, but it's connected to the subtle <coughs> currents of vitality, energy that flow through the whole nervous system. When we do a few long in-breath, long out-breath, and then relax, we'll notice in the subtle breath places where there's constriction will then call our attention. And that pain is useful because that, that's how it's built. It wants attention. We think, no, 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 it's better not to have pain. Well, there's a problem. You don't have any pain. You don't even know if something's wrong. They say, I haven't talked to anybody with leprosy. But that when people who have it lose their feeling, and sometimes they don't even know if they've hurt themselves. useful there's a pain then you look oh I've cut myself that pain drinks and then the attention can similarly pains or constrictions when we breathe in and out and then relax we'll notice we then can bring the attention to that as one breathes in and out exploring it relaxing on the out breath and then allowing the breath energy to find new roots through Long breath, short breath, letting, noticing the vibratory breath energy in one place, and then this next step, training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body. This is a, this is a very <coughs> important principle. So even though we could be tired, I, I want to touch into it. And the, the classic simile that the Buddha gave, which is very, very, very helpful, I found, about this training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body, the simile which shows the metabolizing, the healing, the transmutation of samadhi, when the three streams of our being, body, mind, awareness, mix, something else can happen that can give rise to stability, healing, and what the Buddha called a pleasant abiding, a pleasing abiding in the here and now that's blessed, that doesn't harm anything. And as Tanisha was talking last night, when we learn to, in our simplification, to learn to really appreciate the pl this pleasure that wells up from within, it's not so dependent on external things. Whoa, what a blessing for the earth, for the world, for each other. And wonderfully, this practice not only is a healing practice as we get a little, little, just a little bit better over the weeks, months, years of our life. It also allows us to be present for our life. We're mindful. We're not asleep for our life. Knowledge and vision arises. It's the third blessing the Buddha gave. When we're present in whatever that mind looks at it, there's revelation. We're not just going on what somebody else said. When there's composed mind that looks at something, then knowledge about that comes. It appears. When this is really uh, 
advanced. Uh, this is what leads to what in the scriptures uh, the Buddha talked about. You know, you, you might find yourself knowing things in the future, knowing uh, knowing what someone else is thinking. But we don't need to worry about that. We should just focus on what we're thinking. But the final blessing of samadhi is that when there's more composure and stability, when that mind is directed to the nature of things, we then are liberated from wrong understanding. Samadhi is the ground for liberation. It's the ground for penetrating inside. A mind that's not really composed won't be able to see into the true, ever-changing nature. When a mind's not really composed, it just gets hijacked by views, opinions, which is not intuitive wisdom. So encouraging us to, to practice this, and now I just want to touch on this uh, simile, which is uh, really helpful. Which many of you have heard again and again, but it's so useful. It's something to deepen for the, I believe, the rest of our life. Here, the Buddha is talking about a practitioner that has secluded themselves. Remember, Tanisha was talking about viveka when we're withdrawing for the sake of this practice, rather than just being so focused out with withdrawing. When a practitioner secludes themselves from sensuality, from just wanting the next wonderful thing out there, we relinquish that, let that go, what Tanisha was talking about as nekama, or renunciation. When this practitioner enters and remains in the first jhana, G-I-H-A-N-A, this is the word the Buddha used for that first really established level of composure of samadhi. When the practitioner remains in the first jhana, rapture, or what I call pity, and pleasure, sukha, born of seclusion. It's a happiness and, a, and a, a joy that's born of withdrawing. Because instead of the energy being scattered going out, when we let go <coughs> and turn the energy in and allow that to well up, it's a pleasure that comes from, just similarly, if you take the rays of the sun in a magnifying glass and come and focus it, whoa, there's power there. It can burn right through the carpet. <coughs> Much to the dismay of my parents when we were young. <coughs> and exploring the power of magnifying glasses. Of um, a pleasure and rapture born of seclusion, accompanied by directed thought, vitaka and evaluation, vichara, when we direct the thought and then feel into something. The practitioner permeates and pervades, suffuses and fills this very body, 
with the rapture and pleasure born of this viveka, this seclusion. There is nothing of the entire body unpervaded by rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Just as, this is the simile now, a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice. <clears throat> I think we're all bathman's apprentices. <laughs> a skilled one would pour the bath powder into a brass basin and knead it together, sprinkling it again and again with water so that that ball of bath powder saturate, moisture-laden, permeated within and without would nevertheless not drip. Even so, the practitioner, here it says monk, but it's widening it out, the practitioner permeates this very body with the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Nothing of the entire body is unpervaded by that rapture and pleasure. This is that first development of the uh, five-factor noble right concentration. The brass bowl, it's a beautiful golden, that's our bowl of awareness. It's the heart. We're bringing everything into the heart. The powder. In the old days, when you were getting a bath, you didn't have a tap to turn on the hot water. Someone would have to heat up the water. You'd go to the bathroom, I guess. And this powder probably had crystals in it, fragrances, but it was discrete pieces in the bowl. When, when, we're, when we're not in samadhi, we... I, I'm telling you, there's fragrance in here. There's flowers. There's all kind of beautiful things, but we don't know. We've got a tight shoulder. We've got a knee that seems huge. Parts of the body that seem just <coughs> not even there. Disconnected. The powder. Sprinkling the water. What's the water? Attention. It's awareness. Directing the awareness here, and then it's very. What's the kneading it? The hands. That's the in and the out breath. And then you, you imagine if we had that the bowl, the powder sprinkling, and then you would feel into the gritty bits. You don't think, ooh, gritty bits. Give me another bowl. You don't freak out with a gritty bit. You put more water there and then rub it, feel into it. And then if it's, you got to keep gathering in the bit that's gotten away. Oh no, I don't want that bit. Throw <coughs> it out. You can't throw out part of the body. The toes aren't important. I can't believe Jennifer had us work on the toes. I mean, the t we're talking upper chakra up here. She didn't. She didn't say much about that crown chakra. I got to talk to her about that. Oh God, I'll write her a note. <laughs> we forget the toes at our peril. <coughs> it's all gathered in sprinkling, massaging, sprinkling, massaging. As the Buddha said, the third great step of this progressed practice is training ourselves to be sensitive to the whole body. Okay, we might start somewhere, stabilizing maybe at the nostrils, the sharper sensation, sustaining the attention, 
in and out, losing it, the takabat, in and out, and steady the tension, staying, and then noticing not only the in and out, but noticing the subtle breath, the vibration. We don't have to wait for an in and an out, it's continuous, we're getting more present. Notice it quickens the awareness. But then, you know, sometimes if we just stayed with samadhi that's narrow, it's more brittle. It's not so durable. That's why then there's the widening the lens of awareness to then allow that to, to bless the rest of the body. And that's why our yoga practice is so important as we begin to bring the whole body into it. And then trusting our intuition to go in and be called to a certain part, stay with it, and then just as remember that image. We, we keep noticing a really sprinkle water there, but then keep gathering it in. And it says it sprinkles but doesn't drip. All the water that goes in transmutes. And then something different comes out. It's not discrete crystals anymore. It's fragrant, it suds, it cleanses, it's different. Body, speech, and mind mixes into ekagata, some a state that you can't describe. It's Encourages to be patient with the metabolizing. And even if a part can't get perfect, but we can breathe in and out, and then we think, oh, okay. Okay. Keep checking, checking. And then sometimes at a certain point, we don't have to keep saying in and out or boot and toe. Then we can let that thinking part subside and there's just presence. That's what's called the second John or the strengthening the images of a mountain lake. It's welling up from below. No rivers are flowing in, it's welling up. You start to get lost, don't worry use our thoughts to remind us to come back. This is a bathing in awareness, a permeating, a suffusing. And I encourage us uh, to, to really take these days to practice this. This can be a huge blessing as our life goes on, a huge source of healing. If we're not uh, in bliss, just Remember, we can practice cradling and being interested in the discomfort, and little by little it can change. Ajahn Mun actually said it, but I love that quote Tanisha gave this morning, don't desert the body. So let's don't desert the body. 
keep on with our practice and, and trust that this is part of the higher training of the heart, training in samadhi. It's not easy. It's, it's challenging, but it's, it's blameless. It's our gift to ourselves, to each other, and to all beings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.